Welcome to the Thad Talk series on compassion. For this 10-week series, we have a variety of interviews lined up to challenge our perception on what compassion means in our lives today. I can't wait to introduce you to some wonderful people who have been an inspiration in my life, and they're going to share with us their wisdom on compassion when it comes to difficult topics and hard-to-have conversations. As humbly as I can say it, thank you for sharing your time with us, and may these unfolding conversations be an inspiration in your life. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Thad Talks. I cannot wait to introduce you all to Aaron Nequist, who just released his book called The Eternal Current, which is a book that has been very easy for me to relate to and part of my own struggle with my journey of faith and and even what does this conversation look like in 2018. Aaron, I want to just start off by, by talking about some of the intro in the first couple of chapters of your book with you almost have this uh, confession of the faith that you came from and the pursuit of defending your beliefs and your tribe saying, you know, kind of the quote, uh, we couldn't learn anything from, we couldn't learn from anyone outside of our tribe until you have this revelation that you are only holding one small piece of a much bigger pie. And um, can you just start off by talking just a bit about that journey and, and what comes, what has come from you learning from the gift of those who swim differently than you do? Wow. Great question. We're just jumping in, deep in <laughs> right, off the, right off the bat. Why not? I love it. Why not? Why waste time? Um, oh yeah, this is great. Well, yeah, I, I think, and I share this, right? How the first chapter begins. Um, I grew up in a Christian family, went to a Christian church went to a Christian college, got a job at a Christian church, and my faith imploded. Um, Like two years into my first job as a worship leader, I'm backstage saying, I don't even believe these songs. How am I going to try to lead people in them today? And so, I mean, you kind of uh, cut to the chase there. Like what I realized after years, you know, I on a podcast, it's easy to make it seem like, well, about 15 minutes, you know, three hard conversation. No, 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 no. Years. But I realized the story that I had been told from my faith community was both true and not even close to the whole story. So I had been, you know, it's almost like they read me one chapter of this multi-volume book. And I thought that was the whole story, but it isn't. But it is part of the story. And so some of my work in these last few years have been, you know, how do I forgive? Because I feel like I was lied to in some ways. But then how do I also not reject everything? Because everything wasn't bad. And so uh, in the book, I don't know what chapter this is. Uh, I do a big section on include and transcend, how we realize that where we've been is good and helpful, but we can't stay there. And so we have to find a way to bring the goodness of the last season into the future without bringing as much of the baggage and damage and brokenness into the future. So that's kind of a mouthful right there to begin, but that's a little bit of that journey. I, I think you elegantly put this because I think our tendency is to look back at any 
any part of our past and say, or e- even in the present, if we look at somebody else or, or some other organization and say, let me point out all the things that aren't working. Yeah. Let me point yeah. out all of the bad. Right. And, and there's so many political connotations for just saying that statement right of now. Course. But there is, I think, I just love the way you put this. There's so much opportunity to actually engage and say, but what about bringing the good from that yeah. forward? Yep. Yep. I mean, it's the same. <laughs> well, let's say it this way. Um, the easiest stage to hate and demonize is the last stage we were at. Mm. Right? You look backwards. Well, I used to be dot, dot, dot. And that is the worst place. Those people are so stupid. That, but, and some, some of the critique is really good. That's why we had to move on from it. But the only reason we're here is because we were there first. <laughs> like without step three, there is no step four. Step three is the only way you get to step four. So you can't stay. I, I was joking with a friend um, about this with, with kind of pertaining to faith. Second grade is so good when you're eight. And it's necessary. And it's it's beautiful. And second grade is the only way to get to third grade. Um, but you can't stay there forever. And so I, trying to see um, the different parts of my past as different stages that were enormous gifts propelling us forward. Now, what's hard is when there's abuse, when there's, you know, some, some experiences are dangerous. <laughs> we better not include any of that into our future. We need to let go. We need to um, protect ourselves from that. So it's not just everything's great. Let's hold on to everything. No, absolutely not. There are toxic things we have to reject and let go of. But if you're like me, it's often to just use a really broad brush. Well, it's all terrible. Well, no, it actually isn't. So yeah, it's, it's, it's hard work, but it's such like second half of life work. Well, and you know, if I look back on even those, even those toxic things, there has been in my process of actually healing and forgiving of moving on from not only toxic things that have happened to me, but toxic things that I have done personally, um, especially to, to others. Sure. Um, there has been a lot of, a lot of, um, grace that has come mm-hmm. from just mm-hmm. learning what, what brought me there? What brought those, um, actions or yeah. even, even if it was coming from somebody else, how did, how did we get there? And, and almost the forgiving and the healing part of understanding that to say that part of me moving forward and, and leaving that toxic baggage behind is to understanding, yeah. well, how did I get to that point in oh, the first good. place? Yep. So yep. that way I'm less likely to repeat it moving sure. forward. Yep. That's really good. And I'm glad you used that word forgive. And it's a, um, in, in many ways, it is the center of the center of a healthy spirituality and probably just a healthy human being learning how to forgive, but it's so misunderstood. It's so difficult. You know, does forgive mean justify? 
Absolutely not. Does forgive mean stay? Absolutely not. Not necessarily. But forgive means let go. Forgive means let off the hook. Forgive means you hurt me so badly, but I'm not going to stay in that place. What's that cliche that I think is really actually brilliant? Um, Unforgiveness is like drinking poison, hoping it hurts the other person. Oh, it's not powerful. And haven't we all done it? So we're raging against our past history. We're raging against that person. We're raging against ourselves. So much of forgiveness is letting ourselves off the hook. And again, to be so clear, we have to name what's wrong. We have to name what's broken. In religious circles, I think we have to talk about sin. Like um, what we're, oh gosh, there's so many examples um, right now of, that we're seeing just old fashioned sin and we have to name it. But we also can't stay there because it will kill us from the inside out. You know, that makes me think of, um, Mary Johnson, um, her, her son was, was murdered, uh, when he was in college and this, this journey that she went through to actually forgive the the, the man who murdered her son. Um, and, and they ended up becoming family and, you know, she moved him into the apartment next door to her after he was released from prison in this journey. And she came out of it to say that unforgiveness is like cancer. It eats you from the inside out. Wow. Yep. Yep. Gosh. Yeah. No, I, you know, and, and, and you're right because, because the reality of forgiveness also comes back to this notion that no, no, me forgiving you doesn't mean that everything is okay. And it just justified everything. Absolutely. That my bitterness and anger and resentment is, is beginning to release and not control my day. So I can come back into more joy and wholeness within me. It's so good. And you know, it's interesting, even the way you said that forgive, not only does forgiveness not eliminate the need to speak truth, it requires it. If it wasn't wrong, you don't need to forgive it. (laughs) So the very (laughs) fact of forgiveness um, requires naming what you did to me was wrong or this system that was not helpful for my soul or, you know, whatever it is. So, wow. Yeah. Well, this this I want to tie into a little bit of the you, you do a lot of work in the church and in the faith community and one thing that I was thinking about when I was when I was lying in bed last night I started reading the news which is never a good thing oh, to do before yeah, reading the news yeah. but it, it it tied into there was all these articles about uh, uh, churches in, in Ireland and the United States and Australia and all these places and all these things going wrong, you know, right. You click on one yep. and it opens up all these yep. others. And I realize yep. even, even on the church specifically, and this could tie into, you know, politics or, or, or any type of organization, it's so easy to be cynical because it's easy yep. to be cynical about everything. Yep. And, and especially right now, Oh, especially. Just, it's such a toxic yeah, keep going. Sorry to interrupt well, you. Well, 
what I was thinking is we know, like, uh, if, if you look at the church specifically, we know that for decades there's been a decline in the population and, and yeah. those who affiliate with religion. Um, but we rarely hear about any of the positives that, that come out of the situation. And, and I wanted to ask you, if, if you are intentional about working in churches today, which means you get to see a wide spectrum of, of different denominations, what do you think is missing from the church in 2018? Like, where do, you, where do you think our opportunity is to learn from people who swim differently than us, to mm. steal a quote from your book? <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. Well, <laughs> let me start here. What is missing from the church in America? Um, the primary thing that's missing, it is, is that it is often so unlike Jesus, mm. which is a just bonkers thought to even just say, like, how can the person we claim to follow teach so many things we don't even pretend to obey? Um, I've been, uh, there's been a lot of things that I've had to let go, um, in the last few years, but the, one of the things I keep coming back to is the Beatitudes, uh, at the beginning of Jesus teachings, uh, Matthew five, six, and seven, the sermon on the Mount. And I won't go through all of them, but you know, blessed are the poor, blessed are the merciful, Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for right. Like this vision that Jesus offered is in some ways and some experiences 180 degrees different than much of modern American Christianity. Mm. And so, you know, if you even go through line by line of the Beatitudes, um, not every church. There are some churches that are as compelling uh, of a spiritual and human thing as I've ever seen. But um, some of the overarching experiences are the opposite of the way of Jesus. So we have the name of Jesus, but not the way of Jesus. And I just don't think it works anymore. I don't think... I. I um, in the complexities of our world, I don't think people need a club to belong to. They need an alternative way to live. And Jesus offered that, but the American church doesn't always offer that. Mm. That's, that's heavy. That's, yeah. I don't say this glibly. Um, no. this is, it's heartbreaking it's confusing. It's hard to know what to do. But maybe to jump on the second half of your question, how does it? How do we learn from people who swim differently than us? Um, I think that has helped me stay a Christian um, because any one tradition is so woefully inadequate. But as you begin learning and kind of linking arms with other people who are trying to follow Christ, you say like, oh, wow, kind of you embody this little corner of what it means to embody Christ. And, and we kind of, we have this to bring. And wow, our brothers and sisters way over there 
They have that to offer. And suddenly this vision of what Christ came to offer gets a little fuller and a little deeper and a little more possible to, to flesh out. So there's something I've been really struggling with, um, you, you know, and, and again, I, 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 I'm cautious because I do say it is easy to be cynical, but when I, when I look back on some of the things that I struggled with from my, from my education, right. You know, it's like when you learn about, uh, Christopher Columbus, it's how he founded America, right. you know, in the blue right. and you don't learn right. about, well, actually, you know, he basically invented, you know, <laughs> slave trafficking across totally. the world, right. like, you right. know, made it a global, you know, like all these things. Right. And it's right. like, and, and you always learn. And, and one of the things about America was we always learned, you know, well, we love the Indians and we're a melting pot. Right. right. And it's like we leave out the, well, we, we were the and founders we of mass them. genocide. Yes. And, right. and right. we actually were terrible at a melting pot because first it was Indians, then it was right. the Irish, then right. it was the product, you know, and it's like, and I, and I bring all that now back to 2018 and, and, and you bring up the Beatitudes and I realize we haven't even, I, I never even told you that the, the book I'm releasing in the fall is actually called Blessed Are the Poor off really? the Beatitude. Oh, wow. And, and, it, and, and that's what this compassion series is about because the book is talking about if, if compassion can save the world, why hasn't it happened already? Wow. And, wow. and, and the opportunity uh, to actually engage is, is what I've realized is America's not a melting pot in a lot of respects. Yeah. We're actually really good at not blending and learning from other people, but putting people in barriers. Sure. Yep. And so the notion that I take with just the, the, just the one beatitude, uh, blessed are the poor is how do you actually get to shift outside of just monetizing poorness and yeah. look at the poorness that we all have? You know, whether that's poor in health yep. or poor in spirit yep. or poor in, you know, resources or community or love. And, and and if we can open that conversation up to actually say more of that, oh, you're poor and I'm poor too, and, and brings us closer together and kind of dissolves some of those barriers getting back to the, well, you swim differently from me, therefore right. I have nothing right. to learn from you. That's exactly right. Yep. Wow. Excited for your book. <laughs> sounds, sounds great and needed. Yeah. Well, what do you think about, um, I, I, I wanted to tie into this notion a little bit of, um, cause, cause we're, cause we're already on this topic of, do we allow people to have doubts and questions and disagreements or, or do we stick with that narrative of right? Like this barriers and the swimming notion of, um, we surround ourselves with people that think and look like us and, right. and and what do you, what are some things that you've learned that allow us to maybe open up a little bit more um, in, in a safe way to engage those, yeah. anybody who might think or believe or, or look different than us? Right, right. Um, well, I mean, there's a couple questions in there. The first one is, do we allow doubts? And I would say primarily, absolutely not. <laughs> we don't allow doubts in ourselves often, yes. Um, let alone in a spiritual community that's supposed to be about faith, not doubts. You know, as if faith doesn't have room for doubt. You know, um, you can't have faith unless there doubt is a part of it. So, um, so, but I would say not just faith communities. 
um, and not just kind of, it's easy to look at the conservative Christianity because it's such a gross caricature, but you know, you look at any kind of group, even far progressive, and very often you'll find that same fundamentalist mentality there, like agree with us on every point or you're kicked out. And, um, it's so unhelpful for learning. In the book, I talk a lot about the two things required for this journey of learning from others are humility and discernment. Um, you know, humility is just the fundamental. Uh, Dallas Willard, who is a, a, a teacher and writer that's influenced me a lot, he said, I have a really good definition of humility reality. Mm. Basically, humility is consenting to what actually is. It's not pretending we're terrible. It's not, it's consenting to what actually is. And so to be able to sit across from my Catholic brother or sister, and again, growing up in kind of a fundamentalist thing, we didn't even think Catholics were Christians. Like they were, um, <laughs> and now I, I, you know, my spiritual director the last five years has been, is a Jesuit priest. And I sit with him once a month and we talk about the spiritual life and he helps me listen to God. And it's, it has transformed my life. But I'll tell you, it was weird walking into that Jesuit retreat center the first time. I was scared. I was like, are, are they going to make me sit and stand at times I don't know? Or, you know, are they going to make me pray to Mary? Are they going to, what, what are they going to do to me? You know, it's all this fear. And then I realized, oh, this guy loves God. And is trying to make the world better. Okay. <laughs> Teach me. Because <laughs> I want those things too, you know. But the second one is really important also. Not just humility, but discernment. Because the reality is, while my story is not the whole story, so there's the humility, you also have to say that not every story is true. Not every um, path that we can walk on actually gets us where we want to go. And so I'm not advocating for a, a, a super mushy, um, everybody's fine. Everybody's the same. Absolutely not. But I do think everyone or almost everyone has something to teach us. So humility and discernment. Gosh, I like that. It, it, uh, you remind me of the Lego movie, the everything is awesome. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> no, I think yeah. that's, um, well, and I realize I have to be careful because I have a feeling we could sit and talk for hours. But I I, I think, you know, for the, the and I'll, I'll, I'll drag us into the, the last two questions I have here. Okay. Um, you, you're talking about this reality of, okay, so there is there is a humility and that's grounded in reality and then there's also this discernment um yeah. which brings in the action i and i think your book is actually a lot more focused because i i have to be honest when i ran companies i made it very clear there's nothing i'd like less than meetings or worse than that <laughs> meetings about meetings um sure, i think right. rob bell talks about that one of us sure. cast we had meetings about meetings about meetings <laughs> so for me it's always been about actions and and I, and I do believe as a large part of the faith community that we can be extremely stagnant um, and lackluster when it comes to discussions versus actions. But sure, sure. I personally had to learn to redefine what 
actions look like outside of productivity huh. and what is the balance and and not just the importance of physically serving and in you know fighting to make the world a better place but right. the importance of actions like sitting still Absolutely. or deep reflection and meditation yep. and prayer and so i i wrote down something that i wanted to to quote from your book um when you were talking about the eternal current you said we don't make the river flow but we can choose to get into the water. Yeah. And so I wanted to just create a, a, a simple space for you just to break down what spiritual practices has meant for you in this work and this journey. And, and what even do you mean by, by getting into the water? Yes. Oh, it's such a good question. Um, well, as you know, the, the central metaphor for the whole book is this eternal current, this, this river that flows throughout all of human history toward the redemption and restoration of all things. And I think one of the greatest things that Jesus gave us was language for this river. Jesus called it the kingdom of God. And Jesus taught, so the primary thing Jesus taught about was what is this kingdom like? And um, it even began with, with, with Jesus saying, I am here to be good news to the poor, to free the captors, the cap, no, to free those who are captive to lift up the oppressed, to proclaim the year of God's favor. And so I think the key to, to understanding this, though, is to realize that Jesus wasn't saying, believe about the river. Jesus was saying, learn to swim in it with me. Um, in the book, I say, uh, Jesus didn't say, here is the truth, believe it. Jesus said, I am the truth. Follow me. Join me. The invitation is participation. And so the idea is spiritual practices are anything that helps us get into the river. Um, some of these practices are ancient and acknowledged in all spiritual traditions. Some of these are brand new and off the cuff. It's anything that helps us swim. So I, I think, you know, you mentioned that I, I say, we're not making the river flow. We're not earning our way into the river. We don't say, well, if I do this religious stuff, God will bless me. God is already trying to pour out God's blessing on us. These practices don't earn that blessing. They just open our hands to receive it. Um, it's kind of like if uh, one of my best friends down the street has been, um, he planted and is cultivating a garden in his backyard. And I don't know anything about that, but I know these two things. One, he, my friend Blaine does not make the plants grow. <laughs> he cannot make the plants grow. That is a power beyond him. However, he needs to cultivate that soil or the plants won't grow. So, uh, you know, uh, puts up uh, for different plants, you know, yeah, there's, depending on the plant, there's a, a different uh, thing. Spiritual practices are simple, simply these trellises we put up so the vines can grow. Or does that does that resonate? Absolutely. Well, and and there's something you said in the book about um, contemplation and activism coming together. Yes. And I th I think this this metaphor you're using. Now I'm a natural resource management major. That was my first degree. Oh, so. Wow. You're, you're, you're tying right into my heartstrings <laughs> right here, but I, I, I think that is a beautiful notion of you're, you're right. We can plant all the seeds. We do not make the seeds grow, yep. but we are a part 
of cultivating that garden to allow them to have the greatest opportunity to grow. That's absolutely right. Yes. Yep. Mm. And so bad religion teaches us that it's all up to us to force plants to grow. That's really Mm. bad, really unhelpful religion. But that maybe that's dangerous religion, but there's also innocuous religion, which is God does everything. There's no reason to do anything. Just wait for God to do it. Like neither of those are the invitation of Christ. Um, Christ is saying, God's doing everything. Now join me in it. Participate in that, you know? And so there's a both and there. Sometimes it feels like a tension. Um, sometimes it actually is intention, but I think it's really beautiful. I, I, I think the, the, the final question that I wanted to, to actually tie this back into was this reality or a little bit earlier, we were talking about, you know, doubts and, yeah. and despair and those have a place at the table. And so I wanted to not even necessarily from a, a philosophical or theological standpoint, but what is, what is your take on the reality that we can do our best to tend to the garden? We can step into that river. Um, but there is a reality that in life droughts will still happen. Yeah. Floods will still happen. Yeah. Yeah. Bug infestations will still That's happen. Right. That right. puppy you brought home is just going to accidentally, you know, trample through and ruin the garden. What do you, yep. what do you say to that reality um, of can, when, when the waters of the current that can feel heavy or burdensome or, or even if the river feels like it is raging. Yeah. Well, you're naming such a beautiful and terrible reality um, because it's not if it's when mm. it's not if the dog tramples on the garden, it's when it's not if the river drags us along the rocks. It's when. And so I think maybe my observation would be learning to swim is not for the seasons that don't involve rocks. Learning to swim is precisely for the seasons that involve the rocks. Um, getting swept up in the river. I mean, it's why we practice, you know, um, we practice, you know, you you take something like um, being able to be with God in silence and not like convincing God of anything or not like trying to pray spiritual words, but being with God. And we practice that in the safety of our normal day in our, you know, chair in our room or whatever, so that, when there's something in life that absolutely guts us, we have been practicing being with God beyond words for months or for years. And so when life just absolutely clobbers us, we have some of that built inside. Is that hopelessly naive? Um, I don't think so. It sounds it saying that way. Um, I don't know that hopelessly naive is necessarily a bad thing. Hmm. I, I I think our culture paints it with a negative negative yeah. tone. In yeah. fact, I've often been called a 
um, pathological optimist, that I'm an optimist to my own fault. Sure. And, 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 and what I say back to that is I, I think about, um, Right, like our dear friend Jordan, who was who was just on yeah. the previous episode talking about the loss of his wife and yeah. caring for his two kids, and 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 there is no need to fight or justify or explain anything yeah. that's going on. But but this reality of when he talked about defining the present was was his way of of grounding himself to be still present, not only for his kids. Yeah. Uh, but for himself and I, and I think about, um, y- you know, if, if, if that's being naive, if, if that's being a pathological optimist, yeah. I'd, I'd say I'd want it no other way. Sure. Yeah. Um, because I've experienced deep pain. Yeah. I, I, and I, I, I will hopefully and maybe never experience the extent of Jordan's specific pain in that sure, situation, but sure. it doesn't mean that because I've been able to tap into my own, that I am now actually able to sit with him in his. Yeah. Wow. That's good. You, maybe I'd say one other thing along these lines is either it's true everywhere or it's true nowhere. Mm. Um, and that's very Richard Rorian. Um, but either we can swim with Christ in every season or it's just another religious, uh, um, it's more religious window dressing. And so, um, I don't think we should be scared about what happens when there's heartbreak, um, Either it's true everywhere or it's true nowhere. You know what? I, I, I will say this. When I started on this journey of my work and I said, who am I to say X, Y, and Z? Yeah. Does this even pertain to the extremes of the extremes? Yeah. It, I know it pertains to my specific extreme, sure. but but then I read, work, uh, you know, like the Book of Joy with Archbishop Desmond Tutu and the yeah. Dalai Lama. Right. And they talk about this in exile. They talk about it in the midst of apartheid yep. and genocide. Yep. And I read Viktor Frankl and the Holocaust and Anne Frank. And I'm like, You're, that's so beautiful to say that either it pertains everywhere, it pertains yeah. nowhere. And I have found this to be true everywhere. Wow. wow. That's beautiful. That doesn't make it easy. No, that, that, no, that, you know, absolutely. like I'm not saying that, yeah. but, but, but you said to me before, you said earlier, the, the invitation is participation. participation. And I think, yep. what a beautiful gift that we are all invited to be a part of this story. Yes. The Christian life does not require pretending. Um, and yeah, where is God? God is here in our actual life and experience. Yeah. Um, we cannot eject out of our actual life and experience and think we're going to find God there. So, but again, um, doesn't make it easy. Um, but yeah. Aaron, very grateful for not only this time, this conversation with you, but I'm really grateful for the fact that you're taking your pain or your struggle, your doubts and your questions, and you're actually evolving it into a a resource 
for the community, mm-hmm. for, for people like me who struggle with these deep questions, who struggle yeah. with the church and my faith and those things to, uh, to have an opportunity to even to, to invite me to participate in a larger way. Yeah. And, um, where can folks find you and connect with you that, uh, that, that want to, to take this a step further? Yeah. Well, thankfully the book is available in a lot of places, Amazon, obviously, but also Barnes and Noble and different booksellers. So the eternal current, how a practice-based faith can save us from drowning is the book. And then my website, AaronNequist.com, has has a truckload of next steps and trying to uh, share as many actual concrete resources as possible. So it's not just, again, reading about the eternal current, but actual ways to get into the water and swim. So that's A-A-R-O-N-N-I-E-Q-U-I-S-T dot com. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks for inviting me onto your... uh, podcast really enjoy this conversation